0: Welcome back everyone to the CapTech Trends podcast. Today we're hitting data productization a second time uh, with a few more case studies and ways to get traction. I have with me Michael Fitchko, a director out of our Reston office. Michael has a lot of direct experience we'll be talking about. And he's a thought leader in the data space. Michael, yeah. welcome. Thanks for having me, Benny. Excited to be here. Great. Let's get started with, the, I guess, the phrase data productization. I struggle a bit with buzzwords or buzz phrases, industry terms, because I feel like sometimes they're overgeneralized and get kind of white papery. And I kind of like the details behind there. Mm-hmm. So I think when a lot of people hear data productization, they think data monetization. So is that what we're talking about specifically, or that and something else? In
1: part, right? I mean, data monetization is an important aspect of data productization as a whole, but productization is really commoditizing your data to add value. So however your organization defines value, that's what you're trying to get out of your latent data assets. So let's get specific on
0: that. We'll keep getting sure. going down, right? On the monetization side, that means we have data that's insightful, interesting, meaningful, valuable to other people that we can sell directly. Yes. It also means perhaps we maintain that intellectual property and expose an API in charge for the interaction
1: yep. of that data. Exactly.
0: It could also mean internally understanding what features, assets of applications and services should be
1: prioritized for use cases.
0: Correct. Could be personalization.
1: Yeah. Right. Am I am I hitting the the? You are personalization is really. You could boil almost every data productization thing down to personalization, but yeah, you're you're hitting it on the head. Um, that's that's exactly right. I, I think it's defining the monetary value of your data assets or your intellectual property acting against your data. Mm-hmm. You know, turning data into information, all that, right? But also being able to execute against that, and I think that's the differentiator with data productization over something like data governance, right? Where you're taking that next step to actually recognize the value of your data.
0: Right, on an earlier podcast, I spoke with Arjun, and we went a bit deeper on that, on what a chief data officer role is, their responsibility in the organization, as opposed to, and, and really valuing data as the true asset as it is, as mm-hmm. opposed to thinking of it only as a necessary back office compliance thing we have to deal right. with. So we won't go too deep into that, there's another podcast on that. Sure. You know, Specifically, I wanted to talk to you about what our clients are seeing. So, when you go into accounts and people are hearing data productization and they're coming at you with, I guess, an end state in mind, mm-hmm. how do we help them get there? What are some common gaps
1: or some common successes? What are you seeing? Well, even even backing it up, I mean, we're lucky if we go to a client and they have a clear idea of what the product is they wanna build. I, I think because it's so new and we get into the data productization assessment, people expect us to have a menu and you get to pick and mm-hmm. you know, we'll just give this to you. And that's not necessarily the case, right? It all starts with realizing or defining your company's value proposition and then trying to take action against that value leveraging your data, right? To improve the value proposition or create net new revenue streams.
0: Yeah, we see this a lot. Uh, We have saw it with mobile computing before and web computing before that and and IoT. Uh, It's tying the solution to some corporate objective, some corporate vision, right? So, And a vision's not a strategy, right? when I go into do strategy work, I look for you know, what that high-level vision is, mm-hmm. uh, and then what strategies are in place across the different businesses to get yep. there. Then I think of what audiences need to sure. be targeted to achieve that strategy. And then I get into what needs to be built for this audience from an experience standpoint. Yeah. So we've been thinking about sort of that life cycle from application development for a long time, but not data. So that's, I think that's one of the, the key things. So yeah. people still are, are viewing data differently from an asset perspective than they are applications and sure. services. Yeah. So give me some examples. Give me one monetization example, one non-monetization example, and we can kind of drill into into those.
1: Sure, yeah. We'll start with the monetization example because I think that's a little more exciting. A couple years ago, worked at a client that was a sophisticated, high-volume marketer, so consumer base of 30 million at the time, and executing Thousands of marketing campaigns a day against each consumer. So do the math in your head That's a lot of transactions a day a lot of data being created um, and a lot of things to keep track of so with all that, right? There's So we're talking
0: volume and velocity. Yes. Okay.
1: So with all that, there was a lot of customization in place already, right? If they knew your name, they'd put your name on the marketing campaign so that it felt personalized and goes back to that personalized messaging space. So they sourced and validated your name from hundreds of different sources, right? And they leveraged a third-party algorithm, a very well-known algorithm that a lot of companies use to do this type of activity kind of know your customer stuff to say, I have 20 different versions of Mike Fitchko's name. Let's use the algorithm to validate which one he prefers and say, this is this customer's name. So along the line there, a lot of business process. Um, occasionally there'd be some bad actors mid-process that would change a customer's name to a profane word mm-hmm. right imagine you're you're rude to someone or you know, anywhere not, along the process anywhere along the process any right. number of reasons this would happen like your friend got into your account playing a joke on you that was 90 percent of the use cases was people playing jokes on each other either way it resulted in a degraded user experience because now instead of michael is my first name it would be a very bad word right. and so all the emails mailers phone calls text messages all and as funny as that might be right <laughs> right yeah, yeah yeah right it's a um, horrible user experience sure, and you probably. would expect a company to to oh, not let a, that slide right through. a company right. with that large of a consumer base you'd think would have their stuff together right which right. they did tremendously however very hard to track so leverage this algorithm and still things fell through the cracks and that resulted in an degraded customer experience and potential litigation right it's a big fish in a big pond and if you did something bad to me, that they were worried about litigation left, right, and center. That was a huge cost savings for them, was preventing litigation. So that was a big driver for this, that got it off the ground. So what we did was actually scraped, well, we found out that the algorithm that they were paying for had a very basic profanity filter. So it had Basically, to
0: be, list, and pe- list and word yes, matching. Yep. Yeah, it
1: had to be the whole word, very simple list, and nothing in between, right? So it caught some stuff, but not enough. So really what we did was, we implemented a regular expression to look at the patterns of the words themselves to find kind of hidden or latent or extremely similar. Using funny characters to funny replace characters, common characters. Yep, yep. Exactly like that. Um, in addition to some web scraping of publicly available kind of slang resources like an urban dictionary, things like that to pull in modern and relevant, profane words. that. Could exist. I would imagine that's a model that can adapt over time as well, because yeah, absolutely, because right, things change. Yep. So that was it. Was definitely um, low maintenance. That was one of the requests or, or requirements for this. Was we don't want someone's full time job maintaining a list of profanity. So um, certainly had to be dynamic and, and leverage kind of low code solution to um, keep it up to date and dynamic.
0: Yeah. What gets me as I think about as I'm so my background right is more application development, mm-hmm. working with data as a back-end when I needed you know, persistence model, whether yeah. it be SQL or NoSQL <laughs> or whatever. Sure. And so the way I would address something like this is pattern matching, regular expression, the scraping gets a little bit more interesting, but it's those seem like common application development approaches. What I think gets, gets lost in that detail, when I think of it from a purely app dev perspective, is the volume and velocity, mm-hmm. and there's a tremendous amount of data. Every day, yep, that needs to be updated really, 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 really quickly, yes, so not not to say that the process was easy i 'm saying it's it's easily understood, yes. like I knew I knew what the problems you had to right. solve, but i don 't necessarily understand how you solve it at that scale and that velocity, I guess that's where a lot of the the, the more modern tools
1: yes. come in, yeah, absolutely. back then, they were paying for brute force processing time to not affect the SLAs, the marketing campaigns, um, but with today 's technology. Right with, with your Azure, AWS, GCP offerings, it's, you're still paying for it, but it's scaled so quickly that the infrastructure behind the scenes to do that level of, of processing in that amount of time is a lot more attainable. Right? You don't have to be a multi-billion dollar company to afford it. So. Well, help me out, this
0: sounds, more, this sounds like a good case study
1: for a data cleansing podcast.
0: yeah. So how does this relate to sure. monetization? Um, so the,
1: the output of that whole solution was this clean list or reference list, right? That plugged in very well to that algorithm and similar algorithms that a lot of competitors or related companies with the shared customer base probably were facing the same issue. So someone along the lines had uh, a good idea of, we, we know this is probably a shared pain point across the industry. Let's set up a subscription model so that folks can either pay once for this list, like every six months where they can afford it, or subscribe to the API such that every time we do the scrape and update the list significantly, it's pushed out to subscribers, right? And so they can leverage that data pipeline to cleanse their data and improve the customer experience or however they're going to use it across the board. So it, the, the list, the byproduct of this was that net new revenue stream because they identified the opportunity to provide uber cleanse data up to the day. So so that's kind of the differentiator between what was a mitigative solution to net new revenue stream leveraging a data product. So the output, that list, was the product itself and that became a monetized asset, leveraging existing data and existing business processes.
0: This makes me think of two things. One, it's a phrase I use quite a bit. It's unexpected dividends is the Mm -hmm. phrase, right? If you architect something well and you follow design patterns, application design patterns, enterprise design patterns, Mm -hmm. data design patterns, you get unexpected dividends down the road, right? It pays you back. If you do point solutions, you get expected problems, yeah, right? right? So it's just so much easier to do it right the first time. And it reminds me of Amazon when they were architecting their sure. solution, the, the Jeff Bezos memo of, I think it was 10 points or something, about how the systems will be built. That created not only an, an excellent system for them, but then they did exactly what you're saying your client did. They took that model and externalized it, created sure. their whole cloud offering yeah. out of doing their system correctly. Yeah, So that's a perfect, I mean, I think it's a really strong analogy for oh, this 100%. company, doing what they needed to do, but having a bigger view of the value that not only would that be to them, but to other people.
1: Yeah, and that goes back to what we said at the top of the podcast, right? Define the value, understanding the value of the data is is the the crux of data productization, right? Right, so.
0: auto manufacturers, and I'm, I'm trying to get more data on this, but they're reporting that there are some auto manufacturers are reporting that the data they're getting off of their customers and their customer vehicles are more valuable than the revenue they're making from the sale of the vehicle.
1: Oh, yeah, 100%. Right, I, I can see that happening, because right. it's, it's, that goes into like the, the trusted data source aspect of it. If mm-hmm. you're talking about, what do I need to get started in data practization, Trusted data source is number one. Start there, and then we right. can see what we can do with that data. But yeah, I, I tremendously completely agree with that. I see that being yeah. very much reality.
0: Well, that's gonna come into an ethics and legal Situation too. Yes.
1: If I buy a vehicle from you,
0: why do you own the data of how I'm using it? Right. Right. That's so. going to get tricky
1: personal view is i should be compensated for the data you're using against me but right i, I think that's a different podcast too <laughs> i think we had that podcast right that's a um, that's another data product there too if anyone has that idea right yeah we had a, um, we had a
0: me prism podcast on that if anybody yeah, wants to look that up there you that. go yeah
1: so give me the other case study the one that was sure so a non monetization yes. case study yeah. right so if we're thinking about monetization as the externalized realized value of data um, we can look at like let's say I'm good with my revenue streams. My problem's not my res- revenue streams. How can I use my my data to improve the employee experience and prevent attrition? So every, everyone's suffering from the attrition. great the, the
0: great resignation, yes, right? So Yes. So did this case study started stopping you midstream. No, did good. this happen pre yes. or after? Yes. So pre because this So they they set themselves up
1: pretty well. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, pretty technologically advanced business model. So, that's it's a this case specifically applies to a ground logistics company. So, any of the large trucks, vans, carts, anything that moves parcels from one place to another. Mm-hmm. This company hired the the owners of the part of those vehicles to move their shipments from A to B. What the the management company actually was facing was a lot of those contractors, a lot of those employees were burning themselves out and ultimately quit, mm-hmm. which resulted in things not being shipped, right? Mm-hmm. So logistics nightmare, as part of this great resignation, I think if anyone's trying to And also order supply order, chain issues. Supply chain issues, absolutely. So, um, and these folks are the heartbeat of the supply chain, right? So ground logistics is still very important to that. So what they tried to do was how do we make, what's, what's our value proposition to these contractors, to these employees to to stay with us and what can we do to prevent them from burning themselves out. So looking at all the data points of a route, my relationship to those routes as a driver, and trying to find patterns of most of the attrition that's occurred in the last two, three, five years has been preceded by a pattern of less frequency of trips. The overall earnings from my same trips going down the safety of the route I'm driving decreasing, whatever, among like hundreds of other data points, obviously, right, pretty sophisticated, kind of advanced analytic predictive model going on here. But you get the idea of what they're trying to look out for in terms of this patternistic behavior and to the point of preventing it, right, having HR, having the reps reach out and offering solutions to say, hey, we've noticed this pattern, it's degrading a little bit, how can we help? Yeah, I think of two things
0: there, well more than that. But one is if if we if I go back 10 years in time before this sort of the maturity what we're talking about in mm-hmm. the data science, here, Sure. A traditional way to do that would be to ask people what the five factors are yeah. or the 10 factors are. When you say hundreds of factors, we're we're now asking the software itself to come up with pattern matching and telling yeah. us. And it's a much more powerful thing because it's including information that would have been gaps for. Yeah. The other thing that strikes me is that we're not reporting necessarily you are these are the reasons but you're going that extra step in the maturity model of predicting behavior. Yes. Right. And that that's a that really is the top of the maturity curve or towards the top of the maturity curve when you can when you're looking forward not backwards at your yes, data. Yes.
1: Absolutely, right? And that how that applies to data productization, right? If you think of the data productization funnel right at the top is net new product for net new customer. And the the predictive aspect of that is predicting customer behavior, predicting product needs, right? So, and, and similarly, what you touched on there is predicting the data points needed to mm-hmm. answer. <laughs> That's <laughs> that to me is like the the most the future the future of data productization Right there is leveraging algorithmic expertise and data science and this advanced analytic compute capacity to you know, remove kind of the retro thinking out and enable your human analysts and engineers to focus on forward thinking problems and let the system figure itself out and give you a report back of, hey, here's what's happening.
0: So, so let's use this case study to go generalize it, right? sure, And we'll we'll use it to go backwards and say what needs to be in place, what are the, what did they do right yeah. uh, that, that got to here? Because I think a lot of times, and by the way, we said this wasn't a monetization story, but it's not an external monetization story. There's right. a lot of money there Yeah, just to tie a bow on the story, right?
1: right the, the value there was um, employee satisfaction, right? They want to be the best place to work and... Obviously retention saves a ton of money, but that wasn't the ultimate drive, right? right? It was really making sure that their their people were okay and can they prevent any degrading patterns, right, that might impact someone's livelihood right. uh, from happening. Right. That's great. So let's work backwards from it.
0: Sure. There's employee data, there's job data, there's so I'm imagining there's we don't have to get into the details of it, <laughs> but there's several different sources of data in, yeah. in this model that has to be enough data the right yep, data, yep. trusted data, yes. was all that in place? Did those things have to be, and we won't have to go specific with this client. Uh, let's just go generally. Generally, when you come into places, is it a mix of maturity where maybe, I can imagine some things have been acquired, some things are sure. legacy, some things are new. So I'd imagine it's it's a hodgepodge of maturity. I was, I was to gonna data. say hodgepodge, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, there
1: are pockets of maturity. Word. Yes, yeah. <laughs> really is. Um, most of what I see is there are pockets of maturity. There's might be one group that's doing everything to the T, and, and now they're looking at academic excellence on can we do hourly deployments instead of daily, while meanwhile there's a group back here still working off Google Sheets and handing physical pieces of paper down the hall, right, under the same umbrella. So it is a hodgepodge. Is that enough to get started with data prioritization? Yes. Okay. So that's I think that's
0: surprising to a lot of people. Sure. I think I think that the analysis paralysis of yeah. our data is not perfect. And look, by the way, no one's data is going to be perfect. No. Right. It's, right. It, it, when people say, "When is when is the job done?" of, of right. getting good, clean data. It's never done, No, right? Because they're right. always new systems, always new stuff. Yeah,
1: done. and that's that's proliferated in, in the advanced analytics space because you want your model to be a thousandth percent more effective, right? right. And sometimes you kind of lose the force for the tree there a little bit. But in terms of data productization, all you need is a trusted data source. Mm-hmm. You need trusted data source, and you need a line of sight into a piece of your value proposition and the relationship between that data and the value proposition. Right. So. You don't need enterprise data governance at scale. It helps, right? Mm-hmm. At the, to get up that maturity level of data productization to bring net new product to net new customer, you will need the enterprise data governance in a certain spot. You need your entire data ecosystem or data fabric to be trusted, um, and you need to be able to bring in third-party data as needed in a similarly trusted way. So. There's your hyper-hyper mature level, and, but to get started, you need some trusted data somewhere. <laughs> Can you define data fabric for me? Sure, data fabric, um, talking about buzzwords. Right, that's why um, I did it. A yeah. lot, <laughs> um, it's sort of the same thing as a data mesh, right? It's, it's anywhere that your organization has domain over data, right? Mm-hmm. It could be your IoT device producing a signal to your you know, ERP employee system Producing employee data, it could be your transactional systems for. So you're saying it's it's, yeah. it's, it's
0: the macro domain of all data. Yes. Okay. It's a great In, way to put it. including bad formats, like Excel spreadsheets? And yes. Is that, that, that's part absolutely. of your fabric? Absolutely, okay. yep. Um, so it's, it's not just well-architected domain.
1: It's no. well-architected and poorly-architected And, and look, I mean, there are... Not that Excel is poorly-architected. No, there, there are small companies that can work off Excel, mm-hmm. right? We're not saying we, you need a full-blown cloud solution for every company everywhere. That's, it's, that's another beauty of data productization. It, it's not necessary, right? It's a best-fit solution to drive net new value from your existing data assets. So if you are a social media based business, that your product is insightful tweets, mm-hmm. right? You can do your back-end magic and have all of your data living in a Google sheet and publish it to Twitter or publish it to paid Twitter to generate your revenue, mm-hmm. right? That's perfectly fine. And especially if it's one and a half people or one person and an intern working on that, that's pretty valid, right?
0: Well, I think that's, yes. And thank you for making that distinction because I think going back to the beginning of the, uh, the buzzwords and the buzz phrases, mm-hmm. You can hear these things, and a lot of the white papers you'll read or position papers by product companies, it sounds big. It sounds very involved. And it it can be. It can be very big Mm -hmm. and very involved. But it doesn't mean there isn't work that can be done immediately and value that can be gotten immediately. hundred percent, yeah. So let's finish with a couple thoughts on uh, platform and how to get started. Sure. So I'm thinking, and we've had podcasts about this before too, and a a lot of trend thoughts on this. Where moving to the cloud, if, if you avoid a lift and shift operation, also means modernizing platforms and processes sure. right? So I feel like if it's Google Cloud or Azure or AWS, there are uh, mature areas now for this type of data science and analytics work. Yep, uh, two questions. One, is this work primarily done in the cloud, or are there' still a lot of on-prem people? And, and I guess there has to be for some of this legacy stuff we're talking sure. about, and, and two, is there a preference between the cloud vendors or are they all pretty much offering something that's good? And if you're on a particular cloud vendor, you're probably okay. I'll start
1: with the first question. You can't run a modern data product off of legacy systems. So if you have an Excel spreadsheet that's extremely valuable, how am I going to pay you for that information? How are you going to deliver that information to me? That's a question. So. You do need cloud capability to a point of you know API driven stuff is is pretty ubiquitous at this point. So up to that point where you can deliver in a modern way in a modern facility that's mm-hmm. that's the the low bar, right There is a space for hard artifacts to, to in the data productization, landscape where you're adding value. It's a piece of the puzzle that adds value, or creates value from your data assets. But ultimately, yeah, you do need a pretty modern delivery mechanism for that. So the second question is, are any of the big cloud providers uniquely distinguishing uniquely, themselves, yeah. or does it come down to use case? For data productization In the basic level, they're all great. They, okay. they all do the job. Interestingly, when you get to the point of third-party data onboarding, and what I've experienced, right, is if you have one cloud provider over the other, if you're negotiating with a strategic third-party data source and they are the other cloud provider, or mm. they don't think highly of the cloud provider your team has chosen, that's a bit of a bargaining chip at the table, right? right. There's some nuance there, but from a technical, from mm. an objective technical perspective, all three cloud all major cloud providers, AWS, Azure, GCP, all have tools to do the job.
0: Right. Um, so it does come down to. There's other reasons to choose cloud vendors. This yes. shouldn't be the determining factor. Correct. Yes. Great. Um, so let's wrap up. Uh, well, first, thank you for coming. Yeah, of course. Uh, but before we wrap up, I want to hit um, key things to take away. How to get? What can people do over the next, you know, four to six weeks to make progress here? I'll hit a couple from a top-down perspective, and okay. maybe you can hit a couple from the bottom up. Sure. Do you do you have a CDO? Is there a person who's representing data in your organization? Yep. Do you understand or have thoughts on how that how that data can tie to a corporate vision? Is it something that can be monetized? Is it something that adds value to a process? Yes. Uh, and putting and I've said this before, but having a seat at the table as an equal person in that digital transformation, yep. I think is a good top down way to to start. Hundred um, percent. Give me some good. Uh, sort of grassroots, tiger
1: team, bottom-up sure.
0: kind of stuff that people can, what's the first couple of things you would do if someone was just starting off
1: on this? Again, identify your trusted data, first and foremost. From there, I think, flip side of the coin, identify where you have known gaps in your data. Where do I not trust the data? Why do I not trust it? Right, so you're talking
0: mm-hmm. basic data engineering.
1: Basic data governance, basic data fundamentals, right? right? Organizationally, that's where I would start. If the idea was, let's see if we can take action or find some new action to take against our known data. Right. Obviously, having line of sight into corporate values and vision—that's that's top down and bottom up. Well, I think I think in the middle where they meet is a quick win. Yeah. Or a series of like, a cadence. Sure. Of quick kind of hitting singles, right? Right. So that's you know hitting singles instead of going for the home run. Mm-hmm. That's a scale. You're thinking back to a simple. Use case first mm-hmm. and build from there.
0: Yeah, I and mean, this, this is true with a lot of other technologies. Uh, when you say simple use case, I sort of have that four-quadrant view of like, what has a lot of value, but lower complexity, mm-hmm. right? And that can be something that has super high value to a small group of people sure, or some value yeah. to a lot of people, right? Do you have to, yep. Am I going to go narrow and deep or, or shallow and broad? Sure. You know, if you're in that unique situation where you could do something super valuable for a lot of people and it's low complexity, then that's... That's, that's a, the best, yeah. Right, right. Good <laughs> luck with that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise, you got to figure you know, where you want to target. Maybe you have a couple different singles. We have a single here sure. and a single there, so you're you're hitting a couple different audiences. Yeah, and that goes back to the audience thing that we talked yes, about earlier. 100%. Great. Great. Well again, thank you for coming. Uh very insightful. Uh enjoyed having you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. This was fun. The entire contents and design of this podcast are the property of CapTech or used by CapTech with permission and are protected under U.S. and international copyright and trademark laws. Users of this podcast may save and use information contained in it only for personal or other non-commercial educational purposes. No other use of this podcast may be made without CapTech's prior written permission. CapTech makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in it are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in it is done at your own risk. CapTech makes no warranty that this podcast or the server that makes it available is free of viruses, worms, or other elements or codes that manifest contaminating, or destructive properties. CapTech expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, or any other damages arising out of any use of or reference to reliance on or inability to use this podcast or the information presented in it.